My name's Dan, I'm part of the leadership team here at the church and, um, and this morning I just wanted us to think about, have you, have you ever had a moment when you have uh, stepped into a conversation halfway through? You know, a moment where you just feel a little bit awkward, like, oh, I can't really fully engage this, I don't really know what's going on, or maybe you've started watching a TV program halfway through. Have you had that? Just... Maybe, I don't know, watch series, go straight into episode five of a series. Or the third Lord of the Rings film, or Harry Potter, or insert whatever film you watch. And you are fully present in that moment, but you don't fully understand what's happening. Some things just don't make sense. And as we approach Christmas, we're going to talk about the birth of Jesus. We're going to celebrate. 10th of December, we're going to gather city carols at at Hull City Hall. And I encourage you, join us as we pray with churches across the city tomorrow. You know, we're going to have our Christmas celebration on the 17th of December. We're going to have our Christmas choir and we're going to have our kids dressed up as characters from the nativity. And we're going to have time celebrating Christmas. 24th of December, we're going to gather here late in the afternoon for our carols by candlelight service. But if we start with baby Jesus in Bethlehem, we're not starting at the beginning of the story. What happens is we we parachute ourselves into the middle of the story and some of the things that we read and hear about are not going to make sense. Why were the angels celebrating? Why did some kings journey and follow a star? Why was Herod the king panicking about the birth of a baby? And over the next few weeks, as we enter the season of of Advent, we're going to explore the importance of the Christmas story. Because it's more than just a nice story. But it is the outworking of God's plan. And when it's fully understood, I believe that Advent can radically transform our lives. Why did Jesus come as a baby? And what difference does it make to us? And so to start us off, I want us to read from Genesis 6. And if you've got a Bible, this is where it's a really handy passage because I think on your Bibles it would probably be page 4 or 5. So I think even I can find that this morning. Although most of you I know have phones, so just don't really matter. But we're going to read Genesis 6 and we're going to be reading verses 5 to... uh, I gave you the wrong verse. We're just going to go to 8, tech team. Sorry, I told you 9, but I was... Lying, apologies. Um, (laughs) Genesis 6, not deliberately, I wasn't deliberately lying. Um, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thought of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them, but Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. Happy Christmas. (laughs) It's not a very Christmassy passage. I accept that. We're still in November. I'd like to turn to Christmas on about the 20th of December. Um, But in order to understand Jesus, in order to understand the baby that we see in a manger, we need to first see the grief that God went through. You see, in Genesis 1, we read about God creating all things. Day 1, he creates light. 
Day two, see in the sky. Day three, he, he creates the dry ground and the plants. Day four, he creates the sun and the moon and the stars. Day five, birds and sea creatures. And day six, land animals and us, humans. Day seven, it then talks about how God marvels and rests at his creation. And every day, at the end of every day, what does God say? He said it's very good. Everything he creates is very good. Day seven, he, he sits back and he enjoys all the things that he found are very good. And of all that he made, humanity is his greatest masterpiece. Because of all those things that I've just described, there was only one thing that was made in the image of God, and that's you and I. Part of being made in the image of God is that we are hardwired to love. We're told in scripture in many verses, but verses like 1 John 4, 8, that God is love. It's not something that God does, but it's something that God is. God's love is foundational to who he is, and so as humans, made in his image, we are lovers. Uh, the direction of our love was always, to be, was always intended to be towards God. Our love for him would shape everything that we do. Every word, every motive, every decision, every action would be shaped by God's love for us. That's how we were created. We were made to love God. Now that's not something spiritual. That's not, you know, the day you choose to follow Jesus, you, then suddenly it's like, no, now I love. No, every person who has ever lived on this planet was created to be lovers of God. The problem is something went wrong. Because what happened was that the love that was always designed to be directed towards God started being directed elsewhere. As early as Genesis 2, Adam and Eve are in the garden and they chose not to direct their affection and therefore their obedience towards God, but they chose self-love. They wanted their own way. You know, obedience is rooted in the love of God. You know, because I love God, I find joy in staying in his boundaries. Living the life that he designed for me. Because I love God, I find satisfaction in all that he has provided for me. Because of God's love, I find joy in doing what he calls me to do. And because of his love, I find joy in serving him. You know, when you love someone, you want to serve them, you want to please them, you want to find joy in their joy. That's how we were made to be. That's how we were made to live, enjoying God's love. That was always the plan. But in the Garden of Eden, we find that obedience to God, loving God, is not enough. Adam and Eve direct their love to themselves rather than towards God. And a few pages later, we, we find that things have not got any better. Verse 5 of Genesis 6 that I read, it says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The human race was no longer satisfied with God, no longer finding joy in obedience, no longer loving God as they were created to. And that doesn't mean that the human race stopped loving or forgot to love it was just that the direction of their love was in the wrong place. Because as humans, we will always love something. If you're not loving God, then you are loving something or someone else. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.15 that Jesus 
died and therefore came as a baby so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. What stopped Adam and Eve loving God? They were in perfect relationship with him. When I read that story, they they were enjoying all that he had created. How could that possibly not be enough? Why would they choose to love something else? What could possibly be more desirable than directing all of your love towards God? And Paul answers it in that passage in 2 Corinthians. His answer, living for ourselves. What caused humans to be wicked? What caused our hearts to be inclined towards evil? It was self-love. We were made to love God, but we put ourselves at the center of our world. That throne that was meant to have God on it suddenly had us on it. We live for ourselves. We no longer find delight in serving God because we're obsessed with getting our own way. We want God to serve us. We want others to serve us. We want to get our own way. We want to set our own rules for living. My way, my comfort, my pleasure, my happiness. And when you live for yourself, God sets boundaries and we keep stepping over and over and over them again because our hearts are no longer motivated by the love of God, but that's all about self-love. You know, why are relationships so hard? Why do we fall out with each other so often? Because so often we enter relationships because of what we can get out of it. We're selfish. And as soon as it demands something of us, or it means we have to sacrifice, or it means we don't get our own way, then we are out. I thought I was quite a generous, loving, selfless person. And then I got married. And it was like a a spotlight had been shone on my selfishness. You know, I used to do what I wanted when I wanted And now I have a wife that I'm meant to put first. Uh, You know, we would sit, I would sit on the sofa in an evening and we'd be watching TV or whatever and and I would know that one of us needs to make lunches for to work the next day. But I would hold out as long as possible hoping that she would offer to do it first. I am tired. I've had a long day. I don't want to cook. I don't want to clear up. I want to be served. I want to be in the centre. Even sometimes doing something nice in the hope that you get something, they return the favour. It's all about self-love. And God started to deal with my heart and he started to deal with some of my selfishness and then we had kids. (laughs) And suddenly not, not only did I have my own desires and that of my wife, But we had given birth to these little people who wanted to follow their own rules and have their own desires. Now, my kids are young, but none of them have ever come up to me and said, Daddy, I love you so much, and I would really like it if you could give me some more rules to follow. (laughs) You know, please exercise a little bit more authority in my life, because it, it helps me feel so secure. We are all lovers, but the direction of our love is so often towards ourselves. The world is designed to have at its centre God's love. 
And when it's not there, the world descends into chaos. Every act of disobedience of a child towards a parent is rooted in self-love. I want my own way. Every moment of greed is rooted in self-love. I want to feel happy. Every moment of adultery is rooted in self-love. I, I want to feel satisfied. Every moment of violence, every moment of if every act of murder is rooted in self-love because you know, I've not been treated how I deserve and I want to take it into my own hands because I want to get my own way. You know, we have turned away from God and we are living, we're not living his way, but we are loving ourselves and living our own way. But do you know what? It's not worked. It's not worked. No matter what technological advances we make, no matter what medical breakthrough we have, uh, no matter what charitable endeavours we embark on, we are not heading towards utopia. You know, 719 million people in our world live in extreme poverty today. 32 nations are currently at war, either through Civil war, terrorist insurgents, or drug wars. Every nation, we, every nation of the world is seeing the effects of climate change. If they're too big for you, I want to bring it closer to home. 42% of all marriages in our nation end in divorce. We have 82,000 children in our country living in care. We have over 200,000 babies who never make it that far because they get aborted in the womb every, uh, in our nation every year. We have 95,000 prisoners in the UK prison system right now today you know our world is not getting any better you know we have walked away from God and his plans and purposes because we chose to love ourselves rather than him how does God feel about that verse 6 of Genesis 5 that I read says the Lord regretted the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled God loves all those he created. And when you love someone and they turn their back on you, if your heart isn't broken by that, then you don't truly love them. God truly loves us and his heart is hurt. The NIV that we read uses the word deeply troubled. I prefer the English Standard Version. It, it, it translates it as God's heart was grieved. Grieved by it. God isn't just our creator. The almighty God, all-knowing and powerful, although he is, he's also a loving God. He is grieved at the betrayal of humanity. He is grieved because the love that was due to him has been lost. But also, the love that he had, the love that we could experience, the fullness of his love has been stolen from us. How does God respond? Verse 7. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I've created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. This is uncomfortable. This is uncomfortable, because God is love sounds nice on a fridge magnet. But surely a loving God wouldn't destroy all that he has made. And sometimes I think those outside the church, maybe even you today, find it easy to see God as this angry dictator who would destroy those who don't follow him. Because it's easy to reject that kind of God because who would want to submit and follow him? But what God is feeling here is not an unrighteous anger. 
but a holy and righteous justice that says, that is enough. I have made you. You are mine. I have provided every good thing for you. I will not sit back and watch you turn your back on me and ruin everything. God's holy and righteous anger sends the waters of the flood to clean the earth. And it seems like it's the end. If we stop at verse 7, it's desperate. And then verse 8, but Noah, I love the word but, hallelujah for that but, but Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. I'm sure you're familiar with Noah, even if you've never really been in church before, builds a big ark, fills it with his family and, and some animals, God keeps Noah safe, and once dry land returns, God makes a covenant in Genesis 9 with Noah. And it says in verses 9 to 11, I will now establish my covenant with you. This is God speaking to Noah, and your descendants after you. And with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, all the wild animals, all that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on the earth, I will establish my covenant with you. Never again will will all life be destroyed by the water of the flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. We then find in Genesis 10 and 11 that that then lists the descendants of Noah, who is a beneficiary of this covenant. Uh, And there's many names, and I'm not going to go through them all, but there's one very familiar name if you know your Bibles, and that is the one of Abraham. God makes a covenant then with Abraham in Genesis 12, and he tells Abraham that he will make him into a great nation, and through him, all nations will be blessed. Through his seed, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Fast forward to Galatians 3, 28, 29, and Paul writes this, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The promise being the covenant. Jesus arrives as a baby as that seed. The seed that God promises to Abraham, fulfilling the covenant that he first made with Noah after the flood. You see, throughout all this mess, God had a plan. You see, the issue was not that people were doing wrong. The issue was that their hearts was evil. That's what it tells us in the passage. People couldn't just change their ways. They needed rescuing. Our problem is not that we do wrong things, because if that was the case, we just need to modify our behavior. We just need to try a little bit harder. Our problem is that we do wrong things because our hearts are broken. In the Bible, when it speaks about our hearts, it's not speaking about this muscle that pumps blood around our body, but it's talking about the control center of the human being. That our hearts control our words and our behaviors. That's why it says in Matthew 12, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I can change my behavior, but I can't change my heart. I need to be rescued. Jesus arrives as a baby. He lives the human life, but he does what none of us could. He lives in perfect obedience to God. He expresses that perfect love, that selfless love that would even go to the cross to die for you and I. We are deserving of death because of our disobedience. God has every right to end our lives. He has every right to send another flood. And yet he is faithful to his covenant. He sends Jesus to be our sacrifice so that we could experience life. 
And that's what happens when you follow Jesus. Ezekiel 36 and verse 26, it says, there's this promise, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you this heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. We become new creations. Our old self dies and we are alive in Christ. We're going to baptize people in, uh, next week. And, we're, and what's going to happen is they're publicly going to demonstrate as they go into the water that they are dying to their old selves and they are being raised again with Christ into new life. We are given a new heart and with it we are given the capacity to love God as was always intended. You know, by the power of the Holy Spirit we can live in the goodness of the love of God. We can live life shaped by God's love. We can live obediently to his way and express his love to those around us. You know, the power of sin that made us reject God has been broken. Jesus triumphed over sin at the cross. It is finished. And yet the presence of sin still remains until Christ returns. So that means there are going to be times when our thoughts and our actions are shaped by the love of God. But there are going to be times when not. There are going to be times when we don't love God with all our hearts, where we don't live obediently, where we don't express that love to those around us. There is a battle going on in our hearts. We want to love God, but so often we go back to loving ourselves. You know, outbreaks of self-love that cause division, cause conflict, hair, anger, jealousy. Maybe today that's where you're at. But in those moments, don't despair. Because we do have hope. Yes, we live in a world full of sin and rebellion. We feel the tension of living in a world that rebels against God. And we want to follow Jesus. And we want to be obedient. But it's hard to swim against the tide. It's so easy to default back to putting ourselves at the centre. To back to self-love. And yet, in the manger, a baby arrives in our world. God becoming one of us, Emmanuel, God with us. Taking on the human form, knowing that it ends with him dying on a cross. The rescue plan to save us from our sins and from ourselves. And because he came, there is a day coming when we will be surrounded by a company of people more than we can number, each of us living fully in the love of God. There will be no sign of rebellion. We will be enjoying living inside of God's boundaries. We will be enjoying the glory of God for eternity. Don't give up. Don't give up. For many of us, we've experienced the love of God today. You have put your trust in Jesus. But you know, you know that there is a war inside. There is this desire in us just to do our own thing. Today, would you come to Jesus again? Would you receive his grace afresh? Would you come and ask for his forgiveness where you have put yourself on the throne rather than him? Would you be filled with the Holy Spirit so you can live in the good of his love? And for some of us, you may have never experienced the love of God. Come to God today. Confess your disobedience, your self-love. 
receive his forgiveness and his love. You see, the moment of judgment of the flood wasn't the end of the story because God is so full of grace that he sent his son to earth as a baby so that we could be restored back into relationship with God, that we could have capacity to love God in the way that we were always designed to. Would you stand with me and would the band join me? There's no escaping that when you hear and when you read that our rebellion against God grieves his heart, there is, there's a, it does something. Oh man, my, the way I act grieves God's heart. When I choose to put myself first rather than God first, it grieves the heart of God. That naturally creates a response in us. But do you know what? The enemy comes and tells us lies and wants to bring condemnation, wants to bring guilt. Jesus instead shows us the cross and invites us in and says, come and receive forgiveness. And maybe today that is what we need to do because you see, if we're going to show that love, the love of God to our city, to our nation, to the nations, if we're going to be people who follow the way of Jesus, we will never do that while our eyes are fixed on ourselves, while we're occupied with our own, own agenda, where we're occupied about our being in the center of our world. It'll only happen as we learn to live in the good of the love of Jesus, to orientate our lives around him. And so I just want to encourage you as, as we worship is to come before God, where there are areas where you are not loving him with your all. And there'll be something for every single one of us is to come and confess to him, to say, God, would you, I say sorry. I want to ask for your forgiveness for where I have loved myself more than I've loved you, where I've loved others more than I've loved you, and I'm choosing to submit to you today. I'm choosing to love you, put you in the center, and receive his forgiveness, receive his spirit that wants to empower you to live for his praise and glory. For those who don't know Jesus today, come. Come to him. You will not regret it. You will find one who is, no matter what you have done in your life, his arms are open. He has an unending love towards you. He is not, love is not something he does. Therefore, it's not something he does. So therefore, it's not something that he runs out of. Love is something that he is. So he never runs out of it. He never runs out. His love is available to you today as we worship.